Now, what we're going to be doing this evening is kicking off a little series, thinking about why we gather, what the Bible says about why we gather, and the kinds of things we should be doing. Most of the times, we're going to be looking at one Bible passage and getting stuck in as we normally do. Tonight, I'm going to see if we can do a much bigger kind of Bible picture on what it's about. So we'll be scampering around the Bible. If you're the kind of person who has your Bible on your phone, you'll find that really easy. Otherwise, don't forget, every Bible in, the, the, in your seat backs has got a little index at the front so you can find your way around really, really quickly. Will you pray with me? And then we'll make a start. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about your word and why we should meet together, pray that you will give us insight and understanding and a longing to meet up as your people. Amen. So let's start in one place, which is in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And this is our long reading for the evening. Nothing else is going to be as long as this. Um, but it's chapter 3 of Exodus. It's on page 59 of the Red Bibles or your app of choice. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So imagine it's tomorrow morning, whatever you're doing tomorrow morning at sort of 11-ish, and uh, someone says to you, what do you do on Sunday? And you talk about what you did this morning, maybe you had a lion, you talk about Sunday lunch, maybe you went for a nice walk this afternoon, and then depending on your personality, you either say or you don't say, I went to church. Some people might say, oh, I met up with some friends. Some of you are really quite bold, you might say, yeah, I went to, God. I went to church to, to worship God. When you tell your friends, I went to church, 
What do you think they understand by the word church? Because the English word church has got a number of different meanings, doesn't it? I mean, originally, it, may, it means something like the Lord's people. The Lord's people, it's got a similar kind of meaning in Dutch and German and, and things. But the way we use it in English is, um, well, we use it of the building, don't we? This is a church building. It's just a, it's just a place to meet, really, isn't it? But we use it of that. Uh, we use it for organizations, so we talk about the Church of England or the Baptist Church or something like that, meaning an organization of Christians. Sometimes we use it for the Christian presence. What, it, what, is, what is the church's view on the climate crisis? What is the church's view on the fuel crisis? And you're looking for a sort of representative Christian who will, who will speak up. We use the word church in all sorts of different ways. And although we do that in English, it's actually a Bible word. And Bible words have Bible meanings. And it's a, it's a rich word with all sorts of different ways uh, to translate it, part, partly because it's got two different languages behind it, Greek and Hebrew, and each of them has got a number of different words. So we're trying to capture something that's a bit like a diamond, a bit dazzling, a bit sparkly. Uh, and you, it's quite hard to pin down, but we'll see what we can do tonight to get the fundamental idea of it. So join me in the book of Acts, New Testament book of Acts. We were here a few uh, months ago, I think, weren't we, uh, at the gathering. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, which is on page 1116 is what we'll need. Uh, what has happened is that the Apostle Paul has been telling people about Jesus in a place called Ephesus, big city, major city. Ephesus is in model, in, it's in modern Turkey. And people so dislike the implications of what he's saying that there's a riot. And the word that's used pops up a couple of times. It's really quite important. So look at chapter 19, verse uh, 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. So it's a crowd. It's a, it's a riot. It's a, it's a sort of a, a gathering of folk. Um, very, very informal. The word behind the word, our English word uh, assembly, is the word ecclesia, Greek word ecclesia. Um, and it just means meeting. Just means a gathering. Doesn't have to mean an absolute riot. If you flip on a few sentences to verse 39, um, if there is anything you further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly, in a court. That's somebody speaking and saying, stop the riot, you can come to court. And, and the word that's used for a legal assembly there is the same word, ecclesia. And it just means meeting. Sometimes it's really informal, sometimes it's formal, but it means gathering. Gathering. And it's the word that very often pops up when we talk about church. So, is gathering just something that we have decided to do this evening? It's just that we're a bunch of people, we've turned up together this evening. Is that the end of it is, is if you put the word church or gathering or ecclesia through the wash, is that everything that it means? No. There's much, much more 
that goes into the Bible idea. So flip, a, flip back again to a much earlier part of the book of Acts, chapter 7. Because this word gathering was used, the Christians used it for themselves in a very particular way. And they used it to look back through history. So here in Acts chapter 7, we've got the very first Christian who dies for being a Christian, a guy called Stephen. And he's uh, describing God's dealings with his people through the Old Testament. And this is Acts chapter 7, verse 38. It's on page 1,100. And he's talking about Moses, the reading we had just now. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. Now again, you haven't, probably haven't got a highlighter with you and it's not your own Bible anyway, so you can't do it. But highlight the word assembly there. It's the same word, it just means a meeting, just means a gathering, just means a turning up, but it's referring to a very particular moment, the meeting, the gathering, when God showed up in the Old Testament. Now, stand back a bit, let me give, let me give you the big picture. If we start at the very beginning of the story, very beginning of the book of Genesis, we see God creating people. He does it in a very particular way. He says, let us make people in our own image. It's a weird thing, us, our. He talks about himself in a sort of a plural way. And we can unscramble, up in all, that, unscramble that in all sorts of ways, but what it means fundamentally is that human beings are made for relationships. We're made for relationships with each other. We're made for relationships with God. So when he slows the story down, he creates Adam, and he says... It's a great thing to have made Adam, but it's not good for Adam to be on his own. And he creates Eve. Adam and Eve together, they relate to each other and they relate to God. And in a tiny sort of microscope way, that's the fundamental dynamic of what it means to be human. We relate to each other and we relate to God. We relate to God first and we relate to him. It's, I, I sometimes say it's a, bit, a little bit like, um, if you imagine a couple of conkers on a bit of string, and you hold the string in your finger, and because you've got the string, the two conkers kind of meet and click in the middle. If we're properly related to God, we properly relate to his people. We belong together. That's the story. We are made to do that. The next part of the story, of course, is when it goes horribly wrong. And rebellion enters the story. What the Bible word for that is sin. And it destroys those wonderful relationships. So Adam defies God. That snaps that relationship. And when God says to him, Adam, did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat from? Adam says, the woman whom you gave me, she did it. In other words, the horizontal relationship gets bust and the vertical relationships get bust. Human relationships and the relationship with God. And that is the beginning of the opposite story. Not of gathering, but of scattering and being distant from God. And you could say, and it's a good story. You could say that the whole Bible story is about how God moves from, God's, from his people gathered together, then being scattered 
to being ultimately gathered all over again in glory, in the new heaven and the new earth. And rather than it being two people, it is people beyond number who gather together. That's kind of a Bible arc, isn't it? From gathering at the beginning to gathering at the end. Some of you I know are watching the new um, Lord of the Rings thing on Amazon. One of the, I, I know Tolkien's wildly popular. One of the problems I have with Tolkien is that he's nostalgic. He thinks the best things lie in the past. Whereas actually for Christians, the best things always lie in the future. We never think, oh, what we've lost, we'll never get back there. We think what we've lost, ah, oh, that's massive, but what we're going to get is so much better. The gathering in heaven is going to be so much better than what there was before. So that's the big Bible story. And when you tie it down a little bit, you find that God gathering his people becomes little knots on the thread all the way down the line. So we, we heard earlier on in our first reading, God rescues his people from Egypt. That's a picture of being, uh, being captives to our rebellion and our sin. He rescues them. He brings them uh, out. He's, he gives them the Passover. Remember the Passover lamb and the bread, the meal to remember what he does. He takes them through the Red Sea, and he brings them, as he said to Moses, to Mount Sinai. And it's there that he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, that is the thing that becomes the template through the Bible for gathering. God's people brought together at his initiative to hear his word. So, Sinai and the Ten Commandments is kind of, that's the big thing, and everything that echoes it is kind of remembering that. The prophets keep saying, remember how we gathered you in the desert. Remember, as Stephen said, the assembly in the desert. This is kind of, everything kind of goes back to this. And when the Bible talks about an assembly or a gathering or a church, it always has this as part of its picture. Not all of it, but as part of its picture. Why is that important? Because we can think, if we're not careful, that gathering is just something we have chosen to do. And we can kind of make up what happens at the gathering. There are no rules. We're, just, we're, a, we're a group of grown-ups. We can decide what happens. Actually, when you think about this assembly, this gathering, this church, it's God who sets the rules. God gathers his people, his saved people, for his purpose. And his purpose is that they heard his word, the Ten Commandments, and lived it out. And that then becomes the template for our Christian gathering. Let me journey it through for you. All through the Old Testament, they would meet, they would meet um, in the temple for sacrifices. They'd meet in their homes for Passover meals. Um, the big shock happened when they were taken into exile in Babylon. And suddenly there's no temple. They can't do sacrifices. They can't do any of that. All they can do is the bare minimum, and the bare minimum is to meet, to assemble around God's words. And I've said that one word for meeting is ecclesia. Another word for that meeting is synagogue, from which we get the word synagogue. It just means a meeting place. And that becomes what 
believers through the centuries do. They meet together as God's people, gathered around his word to listen to him and to respond. That's what church is. That's how church works. So, for example, we, we did it from Exodus. Let me do it from another Bible verse from the Old Testament. Here is Deuteronomy chapter 4. Looking back to what God did. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10. Remember the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, this is Moses speaking, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. We gather to hear God's words, to understand them, and to teach them to others. So he took them from Egypt, gave them the Passover meal to remember the rescue, took them through the Red Sea to teach them they were being rescued, took them to Sinai or Mount Horeb, same place, and gave them his words. God's rescued people gather at his invitation to hear and obey. His people, his purpose. And that's come down to us because you will know if you've uh, been to the gathering for a while. Uh, we don't do a Passover meal, but we do the Lord's Supper. We break bread and we drink wine. That's the echo of that for us. We don't remember crossing the Red Sea, but all, all Christians have got a story about how they were baptized, passing through the waters. It's the same thing. We have a deep, deep echo. That's what we're doing when we gather. We're remembering that we are God's rescued people. We come together to hear and to obey. But we can make it even tighter, even tighter than that. Remember, uh, Moses was told by God, gather my people together, gather my rescued people. Jesus, in the New Testament, Jesus tightens that focus. So turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, where you find him talking to Another great Christian leader, Peter, who has just confessed who Jesus is. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you? He said, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to gather people, as has happened throughout the Bible, but they're going to be my people. It will be my assembly, my church. Jesus is putting himself as part of the story and saying, yeah, I know they were saved by coming through the Red Sea. That was a picture of what I'm going to do by dying for them. So we as Christians meet as Jesus saved people, we belong to him. We've been rescued by him. 
So why do we need to meet? I mean, maybe, maybe you've got the good habit of reading your Bible and praying. Isn't that enough? Maybe you did it this morning. Maybe you had what we call a quiet time. You've read your Bible and you prayed. Really, really good habit. Encourage you all to do that. Um, why do we do it together in church? The answer is this. Because we're supposed to be engaged with one another. You see, if what has gone wrong by our sin is scattering, what we do here and now by gathering is showing that sin has not won. We are showing Jesus' victory. And so we actively work, or we should be actively working, to rebuild our relationships. That's why talking to one another, praying together here at the gathering, is really, really important. It's not froth. It's not irrelevant. It is fundamental to what we do. Because church is God's gathered people rebuilding what sin has wrecked. That's what we're about when we meet together as Christians. We're reversing the scattering. So we're not just having our, our quiet times all together, but separately in the same building. We're actually doing stuff together. We're knitting stuff together that um, sin has wrecked, which is why none of us actually decided to come here tonight. We didn't call church tonight. We didn't call the meeting. Jesus called the meeting. And he called us, each of us, to come together. So church isn't at root us expressing something to God. It's fundamentally at root God gathering his people so he can speak to them, so they can then respond in praise and obedience. That comes after we've heard from him. And that's why... Right at the center of what we do at the gathering, every single week, we will always make sure the Bible is opened and explained and talked about. Not because we're trying to turn this place into a classroom, but because that is how God gathers his people and equips us and changes us and sends us out to serve him. That's the pattern of what it means. Now, that might sound still a little bit ordinary, so let me show you something we're kind of looking at one side. If you've got somebody who does um, tapestry or embroidery uh, at home, you will know that one side of it can look like rubbish and the other side looks glorious. What we're doing tonight looks like, I can't find another way of putting this, the back side of the tapestry. We've got, we've got the knots, we've got the threads, we've got the loose ends. That's us. Let's turn the tapestry round and look what is actually happening tonight as we meet. Should we do that? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, this might be not be one that you find quickly. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, our writer will draw a contrast I can't talk and flip. I have discovered this. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. Beg your pardon. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. He's drawing a contrast between church and that time when God gathered his people at Sinai. And you might think, if I compared the gathering tonight to Mount Sinai, I know which one would win. Because Mount Sinai had got thunder and lightning and God speaking and all sorts of impressive stuff. And we have just got us. I mean, look around. I'm not Moses. We're not on Mount Sinai. Here's what our writer says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was being commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to the gathering on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, which doesn't look terrible. No, actually, you have come, flip the tapestry round, to Mount Zion, to the city of the whole living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly in, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where we've come tonight. That's what you've turned up to. I don't know if you knew you were signing up for that. And here's what follows. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. In other words, the pattern's the same. God speaks. We mustn't refuse it. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Uh, and on it goes. It's basically, it's drawing the same, it's drawing a comparison between church today and Mount Sinai, and whereas you might think we get the worst part of the bargain, we look pretty thin, he's actually saying, if you look at it from a heavenly side, the gathering is so much more stunning than Mount Sinai. Therefore, take what God says most seriously and do not turn away from him. There's one more thing, and it's why our relationships are really, really important. One more Bible passage Let's back a few pages to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 18. Again, this is a massive, rich passage which is going to pull out an idea. He says this, chapter 1, verse... Uh, we'll go from verse 15, I think. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood 
shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. And so on it goes. Here's the thought. Jesus, glorious in heaven, came to earth. He lived, he taught, he served, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven with the sole purpose of creating something like the gathering of Christians being together. Isn't that an astonishing thought? I mean, you can do a much bigger picture than that, but this, we are the result of Jesus' resurrection. And if you look at the other side of the tapestry, there are evil powers, principalities, demons, that Paul calls them, who tremble because we meet together, who know they have lost because Christians come together to meet and love and serve and pray. There's an echo of what we do through the heavenly spaces. And God's enemies know they have lost because we come together. You see, we, we haven't had this yet, but you could imagine a scenario in which a Russian Christian and a Ukrainian Christian meet and embrace and forgive and love and serve. Why? Because they have come together because of their unity in Christ. The thing that divides us, sin, has been defeated by the cross, and therefore we Christians come together. That is why we can never, ever, ever rest satisfied with somebody coming to the gathering and leaving the gathering and not talking to anybody else. Because our relationships declare in the heavenly places that Jesus has won. That's why the gathering is so important. God's people come together on God's agenda to hear his word, to love and obey and serve him and worship him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, it's an astonishing thought that you have called us together, that we're not just like a bunch of uh, other people who turn up in Starbucks and happen to meet, or like a club that likes to meet because we've got a hobby in common. Our meeting declares your victory in the heavenly places in ways we cannot imagine. Your enemies tremble because of the existence of your church, which the gates of hell cannot defeat. We pray that you will help us to take our relationships with each other and our relationships with you seriously. Forgive us if we fly solo as Christians too much and don't take our relationships seriously. Please would you teach us more about what it means to be your body, your people, your church, gathered together by you. Amen.